Hey guys, welcome. I'm Sean. Most of the topics I cover here on Dark Vandalia are relatively close to me. I do live right in the heart of Appalachia. This one hits a little closer to home than most, though. Today we discuss the Canal Sniper. In fall of 2002, the entire east coast of the United States was enveloped in fear. John Allen Muhammad and Lee Malvo had gone on a massive killing spree. What would go on to become known as the DC sniper attacks, the duo would wound three and kill ten in DC, Virginia, and Maryland. The terrifying part about their rampage was their choice of victims. 13 years old to 72, age wasn't even a factor. There was no clear motivation parking lots, grocery stores, just walking down the road. Nowhere was safe. On October 3rd, four people were killed in less than two hours. The pair's murderous rampage finally came to a close on October 24th on Interstate 70, just outside of Myersville, Maryland. During this spree, the duo will travel as far south as Ashton, Virginia. That's two hours south of DC. This would put West Virginia well within their range. Charleston, West Virginia. Population, around 50,000. The area is home to two primary industries, both of which have seen better days. Coal production had been slowing the region for a number of years for various reasons. The Kanawha Valley, also known as the Chemical Valley, was home to many chemical plants which were the other primary industry. The chemical plants had been seeing many layoffs for quite some time as well. With the economy continuing to slow, some folks turned to other means to earn an income. Others were looking for a way to ease the strain of their day-to-day -day lives. This created a vicious cycle, and paired together, the drug crisis spread like wildfire. Skip to August 2003. Now, surely the good folks of West Virginia weren't still scared of some snipers who'd been apprehended in DC 10 months ago. Well, it turns out, Sniper-style shootings were still fresh in the minds of the residents of West Virginia. Beginning in May of 2003, Charles McCoy Jr. began a series of 24 random sniper-style shootings around the Columbus, Ohio area. And these shootings, they were very much random. Sadly, but also kind of thankfully, only one person was killed. McCoy would shoot into buildings, randomly at traffic, he even shot a school once. His rampage would go on from May of 2003 until March of 2004. News of the Ohio Highway Sniper may have been a troubling thought in the back of most West Virginians' minds, but for the most part, it was business as usual in the state. This was all about to change. Gary Carrier Jr. was more or less your average sort of fellow. The 44-year-old South Charleston resident had four children from a previous marriage, he was a big Dale Earnhardt fan who loved NASCAR, and he worked for a garage. By all accounts, he was a great guy to be around, and he was really good at lightening the mood. On August 10th, 2003, Gary was at the GoMart, a local gas station and convenience store chain, on Bigley Avenue on the west side of Charleston. While speaking on the payphone outside, Gary was fatally shot in the back of the head from some distance. A single murder is a tragedy. 
but not enough to cause an all-out panic in most cases. The panic would begin four days later. On August 14th at approximately 10.30 p.m., 31-year-old Jeannie Patton, a mother and Kanawha County school worker, was pumping gas at a speedway, another gas station, up Campbell's Creek, which sits just outside of Charleston. The thunderous roar of a gunshot echoed down the hauler. Jeannie had been shot in the head. The bullet had come from between 30 and 35 yards away. Around an hour later, sometime near 11.30, 26-year-old Oki Meadows Jr., a divorced father who was preparing to enter college, had stopped at the Go-Mart near Cedar Grove on Route 60. It sits about 10 miles away from Candles Creek. The store locks its doors at around 10 p.m. Any transactions after that have to be done through their late-night security window. Oki'd simply gone out to buy some milk. While he was going to pay for it, he was shot in the neck from a distance of around 70 yards. With three seemingly random murders occurring in such a short amount of time, it was no longer safe for area residents to be outdoors. Simply stopping at a convenience store or gas station is something that people don't put any thought into. It's normal. Completely unremarkable. Normally, the biggest decision one has is whether or not you want to get a snack and a drink while you're there. That peace of mind had been taken away from residents of Kanawha County and surrounding areas. The shootings had occurred not only downtown, but also halfway up a holler. The last shooting occurred at a gas station that sits practically in the middle of nowhere. There was also another incident that came to light from five months earlier in Kanawha City, just across the river from Campbell's Creek. It involved a man being shot in the chest from a long distance when he exited the Kroger, a local supermarket. Though it was never directly connected to the other three murders, members of the community had to wonder how safe it was to go about their everyday lives. People would go out in groups when they were doing their normal business and have a spotter looking around. Now this shooter was labeled as a sniper, so a little good that would do. If this person had legitimate training or was just a skilled shot, he could be practically anywhere and shooting from any unknown distance. Things were tense for quite some time, but days would turn to months. Months would turn to years. And slowly, with no additional sniper attacks to speak of, the memory began to fade. Things returned to normal. The case would remain unsolved for over eight years. There were hundreds of suspects, but investigators were left with very little to go on because all that was left at the scenes were the bullets themselves. More than 12 teams were formed over the years to try and find leads on this. A middle-aged guy, a female public school worker, a younger guy getting ready to go into college. Things just didn't add up. The shootings certainly appeared random. No connection between any of these individuals was immediately clear. Reports of a full-size truck leaving the scenes didn't help investigators all that much. In West Virginia, such a sight's not exactly uncommon. It also didn't help that they were reporting that the trucks were either dark green, maroon, or black, and all the sites were taking place at night, so hard to narrow down the search that much that way. Persons close to the victims were contacted, but those, paired with other leads, just sent investigators spending round and round. Amid all the noise, one name kept popping up. Sean Lester. 
Sean Lester had actually been on the police radar since well before the shootings had occurred, due to a felony drug charge. A former U.S. Marshal involved in that case actually stated that he had pinned Sean Lester as the shooter within 48 hours of the murders occurring. According to him, Lester had at least loose associations with all three of the victims. One report states that victims' families had steered them towards Lester early in the investigation. Some sources say that Miss Patton was actually the primary target, and she was murdered as a revenge killing for a drug deal gone wrong. The other two were just murdered to throw off the scent and confuse investigators. The only thing that's clear is that it took investigators eight years to feel confident that they had enough evidence to bring Sean Lester into trial. And that was mainly thanks to this conversation. Evidence from an informant may have been the tipping point. He'd probably know your face, though. Don't worry about that. I'll probably know how to kill him. Sheriff's turn down, because I'll throw him down, cough him up. They cooperate, you know what I'm saying? I'll leave him alone, I'll shoot him. Sean Lester speaking openly to his willingness to commit murder led investigators to arrest him on gun and drug charges. With all the information and evidence they had compiled, it was also enough for prosecutors to feel validated in charging him for the 2003 killings. Prosecutors had over 100 witnesses prepared to take the stand and over 75,000 documents compiled since the crimes had taken place. They didn't have the smoking gun, but they were going to throw everything they had against the man. Then, the day before the trial was due to begin, Sean Lester gave an exclusive interview to local news station WSAZ, proclaiming his innocence. Sadly, I couldn't find the recording, but it must not have gone quite according to his plan. The next morning, before the trial was due to begin, Sean Lester would accept a plea deal that had previously been offered. He would plead guilty to second-degree murder, stating that he was present for the murder of victim number two, Jeannie Patton. By doing so, charges would be dropped for the other murders. Sean Lester would be sentenced to 40 years behind bars. The DC sniper attacks had actually not been confined solely to the eastern U.S. The duo had actually started their spree all the way over in Tacoma, Washington, on the other side of the country. Washington, Arizona, Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia, 14 shootings, 7 deaths, all at random. With that in mind, one has to wonder if there are any missing pieces in the case of the Canal Sniper. Did Sean Lester act alone? Was the shooting at Kroger in any way related? There are still many questions that we don't have answers to, and likely never will. The shootings did stop, though, so all we can really hope for is that Sean Lester was solely responsible. So that's the case of the Canal Sniper. These days, you can go about your business in West Virginia without a care in the world. Take it easy, take it slow, just take a moment to appreciate that that wasn't always the case. Things may not be that great for all of us, but hey, things ain't that bad either. Thanks for tuning in. This one hit pretty close to home for me. I appreciate you. <laughs>